Welcome to Plastics Unwrapped, a series supported by Dow, the material science company. I'm your host, Maitreyi Theraman. In this podcast, we're on the hunt for solutions to some of the toughest challenges facing the plastics industry. I'll be joined by my producer Lisa Desai. Hey everyone. She's the woman with all the facts and figures we're going to be talking about. We're going to try and have some seriously honest conversations with guests from across sectors and from across the world. So let's together figure out what it'll really take to save the future of our planet. We as global companies need to keep each other honest and need to make sure that we have full transparency for all of our feedstocks and know exactly what is happening everywhere across the value chain. Last time we talked about the challenges facing people on the ground in frontline countries and the reality of waste management. In this part 2 of Recycling and Beyond, we're looking at the innovations and steps companies are taking to tackle our ever-growing mountain of waste. Lisa, what is the data telling us? Well, there are more than 80 global producers of plastic and brand owners, so think Unilever, Nestle, committed to reach between 15 and 50% of recycled content in their packaging by 2025. There are just over 2500 mechanical recycling plants in the world most of them are in asia but it's estimated we'll need 1800 more with even more capacity if we want to meet the targets that we've set today and advanced recycling could help meet up to 8% of the total plastic supply by 2030 but it would require around 40 billion dollars in capital investment over the next decade that's some big numbers you just threw out there and it also means that while we wait for global policies and the global plastics treaty to catch up we need to find out what companies themselves are going to do to close this gap in the meantime please welcome to the show haley lowry global sustainability director at dow haley is really nice to have you on Thank you so much for having me. And joining Haley today is Jeroen Verhoeven, Vice President of Value Chain Development at one of the world's most sustainable energy companies, Neste. Jeroen, I'm so glad you could make time for us. Happy to be here today. Thank you. It's so fantastic to start this conversation off with something really really simple, right? Customers around the world rely on companies like yours to take care of waste problems. Uh, we know that only 9% of the plastic waste that we see around the world gets recycled. So, really what happens to that other 91% other than the noise that we hear about it landing up in landfills or in the oceans? And what kind of solutions are you folks working on that can really solve the problem for people like me who are really worried about the planet? Haley, if I can get you to kick off the conversation. Yeah, so first of all, I mean at Dow we believe that plastic is too valuable to be lost as waste. So the material, the 91% um that you mentioned is there. It's just ending up in different places. So if we really want to move with a circular economy, which many companies like ours do, we have to figure out how to unlock that plastic waste from those sources and get it back into the circular economy. And honestly, I think that's what consumers really care about. If they have access to recycling, they want to know that all of the effort that they actually put into placing that material in their bin makes it back to the store shelf where they have the option to purchase materials or packages or products with their purses or their wallets that are made for more sustainable materials with recycled content. And so it actually has a pathway to get back into the stream. 
I want to get deeper into that pathway conversation, but Yuren, I want to ask you as well, at Neste, you've got this fantastic tagline of the world's most sustainable energy company. It's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of activists out there. So explain to us what you're doing to earn that tag. Yeah, so we have been in this field already active for quite some time. Uh, Ever since 1997, we started developing uh, renewable fuels. And at this point in time, we're the largest producer of renewable diesels, sustainable aviation fuel, and also renewable hydrocarbons that you can use to produce plastics. And just to give a couple of numbers, last year we saved about 11 million tons of carbon emissions through our customers. So we helped our customers to reduce that amount of carbon emissions. And in 2030, that will go up to about uh, 20 million tons. And on top of this, we are also very concerned about the plastic-based topic. And that is why we have a big program in uh, chemical recycling. So I think that the combination of those things make us one of the most sustainable companies in the world and the most sustainable energy company in the world, actually. So this makes me really curious because when you start reading about advanced recycling or chemical recycling, I mean, already there seems to be a bit of a debate about what to call it. Tell us a little bit more about how it works and why consumers are not as aware of it as we are probably mechanical recycling. We put stuff in our bins, it goes off, we know it gets crushed, remade. Talk us through this, both of you. Haley, if I can kick you off and also you're on. So let me break this down into a little bit more detail. So hopefully it gives the the listeners some context behind this. Mechanical recycling has existed for decades. And this technology requires less capital, less energy intensity. And the quality, though, is often a big concern because it's a limiting factor in what applications you can actually put it in. But people are wanting more and more recycled content. And that's where molecular recycling or chemical recycling helps fill many of those gaps. And so it's really a complementary technology. And so this is a process that breaks plastic down into its original building blocks and into a liquid or into a gas that can be used as inputs back into the production of plastics. And while this often has more capital and energy intensity for this technology versus mechanical, it's much better than incineration. And it allows you to keep that material in motion versus using it for energy. I think one of the most beautiful parts about this technology is really the quality is exactly the same as virgin material today, which allows you to be able to utilize more recycled content into really high performance applications and things like food packaging or medical packaging. Let me put my devil's advocate hat on, uh, Euron, because Haley says something very interesting. Is it better than incineration? Is it actually, when you look at chemical advanced molecular recycling, is it actually better for the people who are listening, who are wondering, is this another panacea? Is this just one more technology? Why are we not focusing on it? If you can answer that, that would be fab. I think the simple answer to that question is yes. It is a lot better than incineration. Ernesta has done a study and compared incineration of fossil-based plastic products with the products made out of chemical recycled uh, materials. And uh, two important data points in my view. The first one is there's about 40% of greenhouse gas emission reduction if you would take a chemical recycled material compared to a fossil-based material. And it doesn't matter what is the end of life situation, whether you incinerate it at the end of the life 
or use it in another way, it's a 39% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. If you look a little bit further, what is the reduction in fossil that you will need? It goes up to about 70%. And in our view, this is actually what we need to aim for. We need to aim for making sure that the fossil that's still in the ground stays in the ground and that we're going to replace the carbon that we need to use for plastic, that we take that from the carbon loops that are in use at this moment in time already. From plastic waste or from bio-based waste or hopefully in the future we can even use power to X, carbon from the air, and make our plastics out of that. But we need to make sure that we make loops that become circular. I would love to piggyback off of something that Jaron mentioned, because I honestly believe that many companies are thinking about these two issues in silos. And so we've got carbon issues and we have circularity issues. And so balancing both of these equations between carbon and circularity to come up with solutions of where we're doing both is actually going to take some pretty disruptive business models from both mechanical and advanced recycling. And that allows us to really balance out how much mechanical recycling do we have of that 3 million tons? How much advanced recycling do we have of that 3 million tons? And how much bio-based material so that we can balance out these equations of carbon and circularity, which is the two big problems that the world and our generation is trying to solve. So I'm going to ask you guys this. How much do we have? I mean, how much of advanced recycling do we have in the world right now? Not much. Even mechanical, we're struggling, aren't we, in in terms of infrastructure? I'm happy to address that because I think with any new technologies, we have to work on scale. And I think the biggest thing is going to be timing. So it is a small percentage today, but that's what I mentioned about the $9 billion of investment that's going in. So any new technology, it takes time to ultimately scale, but there's no lack of commitment or investment, frankly, from the industry, which is really exciting to me. Yeah, and I agree that this moment the scale is still far too small, far smaller than what we would like to see. The purpose of Nesta is creating a healthier planet for our children. And hey, there's so much work that we still need to do. So the scale needs to go up very quickly. And I think there are a couple of things that need to be put in place to get there. What would those be, Euron? What can make this possible? So if you don't mind, I would like to tell a little bit of an anecdote. This a couple of weeks back, a couple of months back, I was in Singapore and I was helping with the beach cleanup project. And I was there, it was really, really hot. I was sweating all over. It was really, really hot. And I did a mental game. And the mental game was, I'm not going to search for plastic. I'm going to search for gold. And every piece of plastic that I see on the beach, I will pick up and I will put in a bag. Well, the end of the game was that I did not find any gold whatsoever. Maybe not a surprise, but I had about three bags of plastic waste that was washed up from the sea on the beach. And yeah, just like what Haley also indicated at the beginning of the discussion, all the plastic waste is carbon. It has a value. People throw that into the ocean because they don't see that there's a value, but no one throws their uh, golden rings or their bracelets into the water because it has a true value. So I think what we need to have is a system that supports consumers to be more careful with their waste. And from my perspective, that means, first of all, regulations. Regulations, making sure that there are mandates. With this, the value for plastic waste will automatically go up. And that will incentivize consumers to be more careful with their waste as well. And when those regulations are in place, I think that also waste collection systems will follow because that is something that we will also need. We need waste collection systems. There are places in the world where this is really well organized 
but many places in the world where a lot of things still need to happen. And then the third thing, and that's where Haley also indicated that the industry is already making big steps, but we can go faster. Um, I think there's two things, policy and infrastructure, and maybe a third is transparency as well. On the policy side, I mean, extended EPR policy or extended producer responsibility represents a huge opportunity for us to unlock both the economic and the environmental benefits of recycling. The research has been clear. EPR has a proven track record to increase recycling rates, increase recycling access, and recapture this lost economic value in materials that could just be sitting in the landfill or going to incineration. So I think policy is going to be absolutely critical. And in a lot of spaces, we're operating and we're investing where there hasn't been regulatory certainty. And so that's really what we as an industry also need is some more regulatory certainty and policy to be able to expand and scale this, as you mentioned, at a pace that is accelerated. On the infrastructure piece, um, one of the investments that we have made and really has been fascinating has been through circulate capital. So, for example, in Southeast Asia, it's a $100 million investment fund from an impact investing group. And companies like Dow, Coke, Unilever, P&G, Pepsi, Danone, Chanel, and Chevron put money into this fund where we were essentially investing into the part of the system that was broken. So we were able to unlock supply. So if you start to think about where are the gaps in that system as you have system thinking, is it in collection? Is it in processing? Is it in recycling? Is it in markets? And how do you put some financing into those gaps to unlock the supply? And really what we saw was an increased amount of of supply. And so that was a really great way to de-risk some of that investment and start to prove out where the gaps were in particular countries. So regulation for you both looks like it'll be key to understand where your investments need to go and where your investment dollars need to go. So the question then is the onus of trust. And you talked about this accountability and transparency, but Haley, I think the question then for me is how do you make sure that this extended producer responsibility is actioned responsibly? Companies like yours may be taking it very seriously, but there are bad actors out there who tend to give everybody a bad name. So how How do you ensure you keep everybody honest within the industry as you push for that traceability, accountability, and the trust factor? How do you do it internally within companies, within yourselves? Actually, this is a question that we as Nesta have been dealing with ever since uh, we started with the renewable fuels in 1997. And yes, if you're not careful, a lot of bad things can happen. You can think about fraud, you can think about child labor, you can think about a lot of things that can happen in the value chain that we're not used to deal with as a petrochemical industry. So it is very, very important that there will be certification schemes in in place. There are many different certification schemes, but for the plastics industry, ICC Plus seems to become a kind of global standard. But on top of that, we as global companies need to keep each other honest and need to make sure that we have full transparency for all of our feedstocks and know exactly what is happening everywhere across the value chain. 
And on the consumer side, I mean, obviously, transparency continues to be key. Consumers are asking now more than ever, I want to know where my product was made. I want to know what recycled content was embedded in it. I want to know what feedstock was used in that. And so you could almost think about in the future of like a digital passport for products, a digital footprint, a digital passport for products that we can really have that tracking and that transparency throughout the entire system. One of the uh, consumer aspects that I've seen is actually a new digital real-time label that actually, when you scan your package, you can check, it's called Recycle Check that the Recycling Partnership has put out in North America as one example. Um, you can check on your package if that infrastructure exists in your local community for you to actually be able to recycle that particular product. And if you can at that time, then you're not wish cycling, you're not greenwashing, you're not trying to do something that actually is harming the contamination. But on the other side, when the infrastructure changes and evolves and continues to be able to accept some of those materials, you can see that as well too. So I think those are some of the also innovations maybe on the consumer side of things that we're starting to see because clearly the market is moving more towards sustainable products and we make those decisions every day. And I think consumers want that trust and transparency back into the systems that exist. It's kind of really exciting to hear how excited you both are about these innovations. How excited are your customers, considering that your customers are the ones who will be ultimately consumer-facing? How excited are they about all of the innovations you're trying to do? And how difficult or easy is it to get buy-in from these stakeholders, from your customers? So from ours, which represent converters and brands, those are really the customers that that we talk about. I mean, what's different now that has been different in the past is demand. More than 400 brands have pledged to use increase of recycled plastics by 2025, which has given consumers like you and me a lot more options to be able to purchase these products. And so really to meet these types of demands, partnerships are absolutely critical. And so I think that's one of the exciting things and why we have seen a lot of investments in our space to be able to build out that supply. And last year, we entered to an agreement with a French recycling company called Valorigen to build out the largest single hybrid recycling facility in France. And that includes both mechanical and advanced recycling uh, capabilities under one roof. We also partnered with Mura Technologies to construct several world-scale advanced recycling facilities in the U.S. and in Europe. Yeah, I don't want to be a party pooper here, uh, but there are a lot of great things happening indeed in the industry. And at the same time, I just want to mention one number, and that is about 380, 400 million tons of plastics is being produced at this moment in time. And if you think about that number, that's a huge number. And if you look at how much is only mechanically recycled and how much is chemically recycled at this point in time, and also all of the projects that we just mentioned, how much will be addressed in the coming period? There is so much that still needs to happen. So that is also why I want to come back to this. We need to accelerate as an industry and we need to accelerate as consumers and also our brands still need to accelerate. And that is where we see that there is also a need for, and that is the greenhouse gas emission as so the climate change topic. Can you give me an idea what you're doing at Neste towards that goal? Because it sounds like there is something going on behind the scenes there. Yeah, no, no, thank you for asking. So we are working with a lot of brand owners at this moment to see what are their exact sustainability needs. And we're trying to build a value chains so that they will be uh, helped in making their products more sustainable. 
And we provide them with two different solutions. One is together with partners like DAO or other partners, find uh, renewable-based products. And that are products that help to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions by more than 80%. Drop-in, just like with the chemical recycled solutions, they can be used in any kind of packaging, food, contact, medical application. Uh, no need for retesting whatsoever. And at the same time, we're also developing the value chain for chemical recycling. We're doing multiple things in that space. We are working together with technology partners for the uh, pyrolysis. But also we have just announced a large upgrading investment that we're doing in the refinery that we have in Porvo. And what you have to understand is that if you do the chemical recycling, based on how much the waste plastic is contaminated, there will need to be a number of cleaning steps. And one of the cleaning steps is what we call upgrading. And we have done a lot of innovation around this topic. And uh, we have received a grant from the European Union of more than 100 million to implement this upgrading in our Porvo refinery. So we can take contaminated or slightly contaminated uh, pyrolysis oil and upgrade it to 100% clean feedstock for plastic production. And yeah, you don't have to be concerned when it is in contact with food or when it is used in medical applications, etc., etc. So that is what we as Nesta do renewables, and we're working on developing the chemical recycled value chain. Both of your companies are doing so much work at this point, but it feels almost like you both have said, not enough. We need to speed this up somehow because we know that production of plastic is going to increase in the next couple of years by almost 30%. We've still got to run and catch up with what to do with the waste. Circularity, as Haley puts it, and as you put it. How do we speed up the process? Stability in policymaking, not changes from one year to another, because that makes investors hesitant to put an investment in place. So from my perspective, that is a very important driver. Yeah, um, right now we need advanced recycling to be recognized by policymakers as recycling. We need that regulatory certainty. We need all of these solutions. And so we need that regulatory certainty to be able to, to allow us to continue to invest in these technologies. This is an inflection point, as both of you have mentioned, and you're working and collaborating as an industry, which you've never done before in the past. Tell us, at the end of the day, We are looking at an issue which is, at the core of it, the trust of the end consumer. What do we need to do to make sure that all the stakeholders involved regain that trust so that we get to where we need to be to save this planet? You know, I think a few components help really establish and build trust. Um, Consumers want authenticity. They want transparency from companies. And I think the more authentic we can be, that actually helps build trust. We need to provide options to consumers for responsible consumption. And we have a responsibility to make products that have uh, responsible production as well. And so I think because the public really wants and expects authentic leaders, I think we've got a chance to do that through transparency of talking about both our successes and the ones that don't go as well as we expected. Because in this space, when we're building out new systems and building out new models, we're going to trip. 
At Dow, we recently had an example where we tried to create a circular economy for shoes in uh, Southeast Asia, and we created a community-based collection program for shoes. And it turned out that not all of those shoes were actually being collected for the construction of the materials and the playgrounds that that was intended for. And so I think this is a really great lesson for us because in our old linear model, we had responsibility for the entire linear value chain. But in a circular model, we have to do a lot of these things through partnership and we lose some control and our risk increases. I basically agree to everything that you're saying, uh, Haley. Uh, so we need to be very open and candid also when we make uh, a misstep and things are not working in the way that we uh, hoped for. But we also need to dare to share our successes. And what I now sometimes see happening is that uh, companies, us, do not dare to share our successes because we are afraid that we are going to get questions or that some people might not completely agree to what we're doing. Well, let's talk about successes. Let's talk about failures. At the end of the day, it seems to be about honest communication. Thank you both very, very much for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. And here's fingers crossed that we can accelerate the solutions across the world to wherever the problem is. Thank you. I would say let's roll up our sleeves instead of fingers crossed. Ah, let's roll up our sleeves then. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. As companies seem to be finding new ways to work together to solve some pretty big problems, scientists and entrepreneurs are on their A-game too. In the next episode, we're talking opportunities to transform an industry with an award-winning scientist cooking up solutions in her Berkeley University lab and entrepreneurs in Switzerland and Tel Aviv who are innovating like only entrepreneurs can. We have to become disruptive. We have to change our business models for the future. We have no choice. Thanks for sticking with us to the end as we hunt for solutions to make plastics truly circular. This podcast is supported by Dow, the material science company. Don't forget to share the show if you enjoyed it. Do leave us a comment or a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.